We're continuing a five-part series on prayer. I am convinced that one of the great weaknesses of the evangelical church in America is we are not a particularly praying lot. Uh, we, we may be pretty good at, at before meals, and, and we may have a bedtime prayer or two, but historically, as when you compare us to the, the body of Christ, we're not real good at it. So last week, we started with that whole issue of praise, because praise is where we speak to God of who He is, and in doing so, we allow ourselves to enjoy His character. As we celebrate in our own prayers His goodness, His mercy, His justice, His righteousness, we are reminded of who it is that we're praying to. Because the reality is, if, if we don't refocus on who He is, then it can easily turn into just talking to ourselves. And, and uh, A.W. Tozer famously said, the most important thought that a person has is what they think of when they think of God. And praise is how we remind ourselves of who it is that God is and, and what his character is. It reorients us from all the noise of life to remind us of his greatness, his mercy, his goodness. Today, we're going to go to the next session, which is kind of on first blush a downer. We're going to talk about confession of sin. Now, aren't you excited? Uh, the, the issue of confession is one that, you know, well, first of all, I think it's really important for marriage. You know, I've always joked, it is a joke, Hear me, ladies, it is a joke. I always tell young men when they're about to get married to memorize these three lines. I tell them it'll save them a lot of heartache, and that is to repeat after me, I'm sorry, I don't know what I was thinking, I'll try never to do it again. Uh, I, I've just found that if men will stop defending ourselves, uh, trying to go into a rational defense of our behavior, if we'll just go straight to the apology, life is much better. Of course, some young men will say, but I didn't do anything. I said, you're not listening. The, the, the point is to say, I'm sorry, I don't know what I was thinking, I'll try never to do it again, but I didn't do anything. Son, you're a slow learner. I'm sorry, I don't know what I was thinking, I'll try never to do it again. Now, I'm joking, sort of, but the reality is that, that when relationships get strained, when, when there's action that causes distance or hurt, we intuitively know that there's a place for admitting what has caused it, for confession. And, and when that is admitted, when it's placed on the table, then there is an opportunity to return to more intimacy because the, the silent killer of thought can be removed. And, and the reality is that that's true in much of life, isn't it? The, the fact of the matter is that many of us yearn for an experience that frees us from the division that comes from relational sin. Historically, in the church, a major aspect of worship has been confession of sin. In, in fact, if you read the Book of Common Prayer from the Anglican Church, a major part of their liturgy is speaking to their own sinfulness. It's, it's a part of the baptism service. It's preparation for the communion table because there is a biblical acknowledgement that, that we can have forgiveness in Christ, but there is a place 
for speaking to God about our sin. When, when we try to ignore it, when we try to brush it under the table, which frankly all too many of us do, we miss out on something that I believe that God has given His people that can give great freedom. So we're going to talk about the subject of confession uh, using two very well-known and very simple verses from 1 John 1. Now, uh, 1 John is an epistle that, about which there is some disagreement on exactly the flow of the argument because John is clearly addressing a heretical group that has come into the church. And, and there is some difference among Christians on exactly how to interpret it. But when you look at these two verses, I think you'll find that they're very clear in helping us understand how we as followers of Christ respond to our own failings before God. Uh, what's the problem with confession? Why do we even struggle with confession? Why is it not an active part of the church today? Let me say, first of all, in our culture, we no longer admit the issue of sin quite openly. If you read much of what's been taught today in our culture, we are told that humans are basically good, that if we have failings, it's caused by the society around us. It's, it's not our fault. Much of what is taught today is that humans don't have a foundational problem with sin. In fact, right now, there's displayed uh, all over Christian media the results of a large survey that was done. And it found that over two-thirds of Americans disagree that small sins separate from God, us from God and result in eternal separation from Him. What's more disturbing, even of evangelicals, those who claim to trust Jesus as their Savior, the majority believe that we are all just basically good. The majority believe that we don't really have a problem. Now, I'll admit that's hard for me to understand because I read the newspaper and because I read history and because I look in the mirror. But we have been inundated with a philosophy that denies the inherent need for humanity to somehow fix a brokenness that's separated us from God. So that when you start speaking about sin in our culture, you'll often be treated as if, well, you're weird, right? And even among Christians, we have, we have come to emphasize the parts of God's character that makes us most comfortable. So we speak of His mercy, we speak of His grace, we speak of His love, but we don't speak near enough about His justice and His righteousness and His holiness and His perfection. In other words, we have made His forgiveness a given because we don't see his justice as fundamental to who he is. So as we walk through the confession, we will see how it is a living out of the gospel in accordance with our lives. 
Exodus 34 has a great little summary of the character of God as it relates to sin. In verse 6, it says, as the Lord passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. We like that part. We like the idea of a God who doesn't judge. But the verse goes on to say, but he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. In fact, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. In other words, from the very beginning of the Jewish faith, there was a recognition that while God is incredibly compassionate and loving and merciful and kind, He is at the same time just and righteous and holy. Now, the interesting thing is, in the ancient Near East when this was written, they didn't have near the problem with His righteousness and justice. They were surprised by His grace. We have switched it as a society that we have no problem with His mercy and love and grace. We've just lessened His righteousness and justice. So let's look at 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. The first uh, speaks to the problem of sin. If we say we have no sin, then we are liars and the truth is not in us. Now, as I said, I I personally can't imagine anyone reading the paper or living life or just being alone and not acknowledging our sinfulness. But the reality is that at least historically, there was a group that in some means was denying that. Uh, In other words, they were claiming that they didn't have a problem that God needed to fix. On the most basic level, what they were saying is, I'm okay, right? I'm I'm okay. I I don't have a sin problem. Now, I take these passages of describing worldview. And one worldview is the worldview of the world that says, I really don't have a sin problem here. So that he is acknowledging that there were those who taught that, that, that this wasn't a problem for them. And, and therefore, they had no need of what Christ offered. Uh, but the interesting thing is that life teaches us differently. That life teaches us that, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, we don't even live up to our own standard that we judge other people by. The fact is, not only do we struggle with God's standard, we don't live up to the standard that we, to which we hold others. Uh, Paul's argument being that we all, when we're honest, have to acknowledge there's a, sin, there's a brokenness in us. Scripture teaches that that brokenness of our own sin always affects relationships so that that, uh, our brokenness harms our ability to love our spouse. Our brokenness causes us to lose patience with our children. 
Our brokenness causes us to struggle with our neighbor. Our brokenness causes a discourse in the public that is mean-spirited and harsh. In other words, Scripture says that that brokenness always has impact relationally, and ultimately that brokenness has an impact in our relationship to God. Uh, The Bible says that, and Christians have historically taught, that it is our sin, our falling away from God's perfect standard that that separates us from God, that, that causes us to need a restoration. That in and of ourselves, because of God's perfection, His righteousness, that our brokenness alienates us from Him. And so that there's a need. Now, the Bible says that God answered that need. And we see that in the next verse. First, if we say we have no sin then we're liars and the truth is not in us. But what? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, scholars disagree. Is this speaking of the confession of of, of salvation when we first come to admit our need for forgiveness through Christ? Or is this of the Christian who needs restoration of his relationship with Christ? I believe it's both. I believe he's, he's speaking of a lifestyle and saying that for the believer, we acknowledge our brokenness before God. We acknowledge that we have a problem with God. And so that we don't deny it, we don't seek to cover it up, but instead we admit it. That's what confession means. We admit it. And what does it say about God's character? He's faithful. We know that about him. He, his love is dependable. His character is consistent. He, he does what he says he will do. When, when we extend our hearts to him, he responds in his grace. He's faithful. The, the other word, though, is surprising. And he is just to forgive our sins. See, the reason he's just to forgive our sins is not because he looks the other way. It's not because he says, well, I love them, so I'm going to ignore those sins. I'm going to ignore that brokenness in their life. Because let's face it, to ignore our brokenness wouldn't be an act of love. So how is he just in forgiving our sins? The gospel says that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for all of our sins. And that's why God's forgiveness is just. Punishment has been meted out. The price has been paid. So that when we come to the Lord admitting our need for forgiveness, admitting our need for restoration and reconciliation, He can justly forgive us because what Jesus accomplished without sacrificing His own holiness or righteousness. You get that? Has that ever shocked you? There's a dirty little secret. And the dirty little secret in our society is that most of us are okay with who we are. 
In other words, as we go through life, we put on a happy face. And we act like we're doing okay. Uh, you know, we're not perfect, but we're pretty good. We, when you grade us on the curve, we're better than most of you, right? But the dirty little secret is that we are a society covered in shame. The dirty little secret is that all of us know that we're grateful that other people can't hear our thoughts. And all of us have to face memories of our actions and our attitudes that are less than what we expect of others. For a number of years, our staff has gone to a leadership conference. And um, they've had people like Bono speak and Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell and, I mean, big names. And, and 100,000 pastors in the U.S. go to it and uh, hundreds of thousands internationally watch it on video recordings. And it's a big, big deal. But what's interesting is perhaps the most effective speaker they ever had when she spoke, none of us had ever heard of her. It was a University of Houston sociology professor named Brene Brown. And, and Brene Brown is a riot. She's a good old Texas gal who grew up on a ranch. One of her favorite phrases was lock and load. But at any rate, she, um, she has a disarming way. And, but her subject matter, what she's famous for, is speaking on the subject of shame. That, that silent voice of shame that we all carry. And what's interesting is the next year they said these 100,000 pastors, they had never heard a subject so captured the audience. Because the reality is, the secret is, while we all work hard at looking good, we all struggle with the awareness that we're not as good as we look. So John says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That even as believers, as, as we come to him in the context of our having been forgiven by Christ, but, but in those divisive issues of our behavior where it has harmed our ability to enjoy the intimacy with him that we desire, all God asks is that we confess them, that we ad admit our failing, and that in admitting it, there is assurance of his forgiveness and a restoration, a reconciliation, a, a, a restored peace in our relationship with him. I'll submit to you, this is a fundamental need in our society. We all need it individually. We all have aspects of shame. It's real. We can pretend we've got it all handled, but 
If we don't know, our spouses do, that we have room for shame. We, we all have brokenness in our relationships because our actions have not always lived up to what we claim. We have it in our society today, in, in our public discourse, a, a brokenness like I've never seen in my life. In recent weeks, I've spent time with some African-American pastors and, and realized how much hurt there still is in the African-American community because of a lack of acknowledgement of all the hurt that was done through Jim Crow laws and everything else. I used to rebel against the idea of confessing the sins of my forefathers until I read in Ezra and Nehemiah where Ezra and Nehemiah both confessed the sins of their parents and their parents for the sins that were in atrocities that were committed against God. We are a society that is so committed to looking good that we cover our sins. We put on a happy face. But in doing so, we live in the context of broken relationships. Broken with God and broken with those around us. And John says... Don't deny your sin. You know better. That makes you a liar. But instead, if you go to God and you confess your sins, if you agree with him as to your sins, and uh, John 16, 8, some of you may say, well, I don't know what my sins are. John 16, 8 says the Holy Spirit, one of his primary jobs is to convict us of sin. He comes along and he is that quiet voice that speaks to us, pointing out through the words of Scripture and sometimes through the words of friends and loved ones about our need for repentance and forgiveness. And John 16, 8 says the Holy Spirit helps us hear what we need to confess. And that in doing so, we have the assurance not only of our forgiveness, but of restoration of our relationship with him. So is this a need for us? Do any of us have shame? Are any of us ever worried that someone might see through the curtain and see the brokenness of our past brokenness of our thoughts, that we don't even live up to the standard that we hold other people to. I am absolutely convinced that one of the most freeing things of the Christian life is the prayer of confession. Because we all know we need it, right? But when we experience afresh God's grace, when we live through the reality of his forgiveness that comes in the gospel, it's like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, we are able to remove that heavy burden and be restored again to the freedom that comes not from pretending to be who we're not, but from experiencing the forgiveness that is just 
and faithful by the God we love. If you're interested in Brene Brown, by the way, she, her TED Talk, at, she has a couple of them. At one point was, I heard the number two of all the TED Talks of all time. Just speaking to the issue of shame. But the irony is that we as believers have a message that frees us from it. Not because we're better. God forbid that we ever try to portray that we're somehow better. Our very theology tells us we know we're not better than our neighbor. What our theology tells us is not that we're better, it's just that we've found forgiveness through Jesus and restoration through him. And in our prayer life, when we exercise the discipline of confession, we experience the freedom of trying to hide our sin and trying to carry our sin and being renewed again with the lighter burden. The lighter burden that comes from being reminded of our forgiveness. When you study the issue of God's work among people, uh, historically we called it revivalism. You know one of the things that's most interesting? When there are great revivals, in other words, when the body of Christ experienced a renewal, a refocusing on its purpose, a clarity of what is there, and a greater impact in our society, two things are always associated with it. One is prayer. But the other one is confession. Because when we agree with God of our need, we allow Him to work rather than our brokenness holding him back. Isn't that what we want? If we say we have no sin, we're liars, and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, we know that we need it. We pretend at times we don't, but we know that we need your forgiveness. And even as followers of your Son who have confessed our need of the forgiveness that comes through faith in Him, we as Christians continue to fall short of the perfection that we desire. Lord, give us honesty that no longer tries to hide or pretend. Give us faith that believes that when we seek you, you forgive us. And give us the freedom that comes from not trying to drag around our guilt, but be restored to fellowship with you so that we might live more freely according to your will. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.